Have you ever found yourself in the right place, at the right time, with the right people? Some call it coincidence, some of us might call it fate, but I think we've all probably experienced moments where the universe seems to be conspiring with us in mind. Is this not the premise of every sappy love story that you've ever read? or watched on TV, right? Two people reach for the same drink in a bar and they brush up against, you guys are laughing too hard at this. You, you must really like these movies, right? Right? They're on a subway, there's all sorts of people, you know, and there's this glimmer in their eye. It doesn't matter what the movie is, right? It always ends with a wedding and Lionel Richie playing in the background, right? Right? It's, it's always the same, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not here to suggest, let me say this at the beginning, I'm not here to suggest that we can or should want to live in a Hollywood love story. I don't think that's the way life goes. But I wonder if our love for movies and stories like that maybe shows us that inside of ourselves lies this hope that maybe, just maybe, something similar could happen to us. That, that, that maybe there's some truth to this is is fate real will we look back on our lives and see that the circumstances that we faced were not always as random as they seemed at the time can god work through arbitrary even painful situations to orchestrate hope and the truth is i believe that he can and i believe that he does and i believe that that's part of what our story in God's word teaches us today. Today is the, the third Sunday in the season of Lent where we're taking this journey with Jesus to the cross and beyond to Easter. And we're doing so this year by walking with Jesus' ancestors, a woman by the name of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the video just gave you, kind of brought you up to speed. If you haven't joined us, this should kind of give you an idea where we're at. It's a very short book. It's a very easy read. And we're about to cross the halfway point. And so I want to just point out that there's this overarching progression that we're kind of following here that you might not pick up on unless you happen to be a Jewish farmer living in the Middle East thousands of years ago. Anybody here? Fit that demo? Okay, probably not. So this entire story seems to be kind of centered on the timeline of the harvest season. We began our story at the very beginning in chapter 1 in Bethlehem. There was a famine, right, which was a season of harvest loss. During that time, Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they left to find food. They went to Moab, and when they went to Moab, the sons and the husband all died. They lost their lives. In addition to that, it might not be a stretch to suggest that they might have also been losing their faith. All of Israel was doing this at the time of the judges. This is a time, a specific time in the history of Israel where they went through one cycle after the other of disobeying God, suffering great consequences, turning back to him. He would rescue them. They would prosper. They would forget about him and they would turn against him again and again and again the cycle continues over and over again. Well, after losing her husband and sons, Naomi has this one daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is insistent in this wild, selfless act of love on leaving her hometown, her home country of Moab, and traveling back to Bethlehem to be with Naomi. 
And if you were here last week, you remember that Naomi tried to change her name to Bitter, which tells me that Naomi was probably not a very fun person to be a roommate with during this season. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 2. And it's the beginning of a new harvest season. No longer are we in a season of loss, but we're now entering into a season of hope, a season of storing up blessings and sustenance and the fruit of hard work and new life. And I was thinking, if, if this story were to be told today... Maybe instead of farming, maybe the author might carry us through a family whose season began in a season of recession. Because we would understand that, right? Then it might begin with the season of inflation. It might begin with the season of global war and injustice and high gas prices and tanking 401ks. And then we would get to this part in the chapter and we would enter into a season of prosperity, Low unemployment, equality, relative global peace. We would be entering into a season where you don't have to wait an entire year between when you order your couch and when it actually shows up at your house. Am I the only person? It's a true story. My wife and I, we ordered a couch over a year ago. Literally had a baby before the couch came. And so we joke, it took us less time to make a baby than it took Lazy Boy to make a couch. But anyway, not relevant. (laughs) So it's at the beginning of this season of prosperity that we pick up our story. Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So take a look at this with me. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. Out. Those might be my favorite words so far in the first two chapters of Ruth. She just so happened to choose the one field that was owned by her relative, the relative of her late husband. His name is Boaz, which might not sound like a very romantic name, but as a father, I will tell you that if my daughter or sons came home with a person of this kind of character, I would think that that is just wonderful. As it turned out is a not-so-subtle clue by the author that's suggesting that maybe this story is not quite as random as it seems on the surface. Verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseers replied, she's the Moabites who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. 
I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And so notice that at this point, neither Boaz or Ruth had any idea initially who they were stumbling upon as they stumbled upon one another. It seems to be a moment of beautiful coincidence. Fate, even. Maybe. But maybe not. Look at this, verse 11. She says, why have, you fo- why have I found such favor in your eyes? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done. About what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother. And how you left your homeland and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Remember the beginning. I asked the question, what what we might consider fate or coincidence, can it happen to us? Is that a real thing? Can Can we look back on our lives and is it going to happen that we're going to look back someday on our circumstances that we faced and see that they didn't look as random as they seemed at the time? Can God work through seemingly arbitrary, even challenging, painful situations to orchestrate our hope? I believe that he can. I believe that he does. And what we have in this story is the answer to the way fate, which we all want to believe in, works when we see it through the lens of our faith. And two things specifically that we see in this situation. The first one is God is always at work behind the scenes. God is always at work behind the scenes. You you see that here, right? This is not random. God has got to have something to do with the fact that Ruth has ended up in the field of Boaz. There's no other explanation for how they arrived at the right place at the right time with the right people. And you know this because God is all Ruth has. Well, she also has Miss Bitter, her mother-in-law, but that's not very helpful at this particular moment. She's left everything else. And I think about that, and I think, man, have we all been in a similar place in our lives as well? Maybe, maybe it was by choice, like Ruth, where you chose to leave something behind, but oftentimes it's not. Maybe you, you lost a job, that you trusted was going to provide for your needs. Maybe you lost a marriage that you thought would carry you through the rest of your life. Maybe you lost a loved one that was that loved one that you shared everything with, that that was your shoulder to cry on, that was the person you called whenever you had a need and you needed someone to help. Boaz alludes to Ruth finding refuge under the wings of God. You've heard this imagery before. It comes up several times throughout Scripture. And whenever it comes up, I always like to be reminded that in order to seek refuge suggests that you're going through a dangerous storm in life and you need protection. Nobody seeks refuge on a sunny day. 
Nobody goes into their basement, right? Unless there's a tornado that is potentially going to be traveling through your backyard. Ruth is in that kind of place. If you're in that kind of place today, Ruth finds herself in the same place as you. And she is chosen to find refuge in God. Psalm 36, 7. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. She's chosen to do this, and God is clearly at work to protect her in ways that she doesn't even realize as she is led into the field of Boaz. And I point this out because I know that for those of us here today that are going through a similar season right now, I know we need to be reminded that our faith in God is more than just coincidence. It is more than just coincidence. It is trusting in a God who promises to cover us with his wings. Wings which are the most delicate part of the bird he promises to cover you with to protect you. And he's doing that for Ruth right now. But this is not just a story of the mysterious movement of God behind the scenes. The second thing that we learn about how fate works through the lens of faith is that our actions also have a direct impact on our fate. And our actions have an impact on the fate of others. Ruth was, was gleaning. She was following behind the harvesters, picking up what they missed. And, and, and I was doing some studying this week, and I learned that for, for many ancient Near Eastern people, this was a common tradition. And, and it's a tradition that they didn't all follow. And the reason they didn't follow it is because if you're a harvester, right, if you're a farmer and you're, you're dropping things as you go, that's expensive to leave that behind. And so not everybody chose to do that. Not everybody was faithful to that. And there were those that followed other gods. And when they left it behind, the reason was, in their way of thinking, was that that was an offering. But it was an offering to the fertility gods. It was an offering that their gods might bless them. It was a manipulation of the deities into giving them what they wanted. And so, so the God of Israel uses this tradition that may have been used by others, but gives a very different purpose for it. If you go to Deuteronomy 24, we read, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Do not take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you used to be slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows, so that your Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so like other religions of the day, God wants them to leave behind grain as an offering. But unlike other religions, the grain is intended to be a blessing to those who have nothing. The foreigner... The widow, the fatherless, and all of those definitions Ruth can fit into, right? She's all of those things. God wants them to leave something behind for those who have nothing. And the reason why is because they remember that they were once the ones who were in need. And so God wants them to bless those in need the way God has blessed them, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, if you take care of others, 
I will take care of you just the way I always have. And remember, this is the harvest season. And the two Jewish feasts that bookend this season, we don't have time to get into all of the details on this, but the beginning would have been the Passover, and the end would have been the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And these were two different festivals for Jews that God used to remind them that as he provides the harvest, he provides alongside their own commitment to faithfulness. They still have to work hard. They still have to plant seeds. They still have to tend crops and reap results and share with others. If I could boil it down to something, I'd boil it down to this. When it comes to fate and faith, God will bring the rain, but you bring the shovel. God will bring the rain, but you bring the shovel. And so as we look at this, does God orchestrate details that we know nothing about? Does he lead us into strategic fields where our needs will be met? Yes. Yes, he does. And do we reap the benefits of our own actions? Yes. Yes, we do. And friends, that's the difference between the faith that's told in Hollywood love stories or your daily horoscope, if you're someone who's reading that every day, that's the difference between that kind of faith and a faithful God who promises to take care of our every need. And we don't see yet how Boaz is going to be blessed by his blessing of Ruth, but we do see how Ruth's past kindness has impacted the moment that she's living in right now. As soon as Boaz was introduced to Ruth, he knew all about her. Clearly, the story of Ruth's kindness had gone viral in Bethlehem. And while she didn't do it to be recognized, now we see that her past kindness is reaping a harvest of blessing for her as well. And so if I could summarize all of this to this point, I'd say this. What does it look like to, to trust our fate to God? Sometimes it's as simple as doing the right thing for somebody else when nobody else is watching. It's doing the right thing for somebody else when nobody else is watching. And how is this different than manipulating God or treating him like a cosmic slot machine? How is this different from saying to God, well, you promised to bless me if I bless others, so I'm going to go do the things you tell me to do that I can be blessed like a cosmic slot machine, right? I'm going to go to church. Cha-ching, blessing, please. Oh, I didn't get enough. I'll give some money. Cha-ching, blessing, please. Oh, that wasn't enough. I'll go give to the poor. Cha-ching. How is this different? Well, because if we treat God that way, our actions actually have nothing to do with God or other people. They're still all about ourselves. And I believe that a significant aspect of the cultural place that we find ourselves in today, right here and right now, is, is born out of this underlying lie that we are only responsible for ourselves. That we are only responsible for our own. And this is a lie that isn't new. This is a lie that we see throughout the scriptures and throughout human history. Ask yourself the question, if God, what if God treated me the same way that I so often treat others? What if God's attitude toward us was, you know what, I love people, but at the end of the day, God's got to take care of God. Does that sound very godly to you does that sound like the gospel message see the major tenet of the judeo-christian faith is this awareness that we're not god right 
that we might look like God, that God may have created us, that he may have given us attributes that are like his, but we are not the same thing. He is God, we are not. And when we act like we are the center of the universe, that's acting like we're God. And it's what's gotten us into trouble as humanity since the very beginning of time because it leads us to a place where our actions and our beliefs and our very hearts are not aligned with the one true God. We could not be more separated. That's what sin is. It's the human condition. We have all fallen to it. And so what did it take to change that reality? Well, one side has to move over and cross the line. One side of the equation, one side of the relationship has to step out of their own lane and into the others. And because we are human, the sad truth is that in our relationship with God, we are at a disadvantage. And that is not unlike Ruth was to Boaz. Right? Boaz is the landowner. Ruth is the beggar. Boaz is of Israel. Ruth is of Moab. They are enemies. Boaz is secure and Ruth is in danger. Boaz has the ability to redeem her situation and all she has is the ability to be redeemed. Boaz can switch lanes. But she has no ability to leave her own. And so the only way out for Ruth is if Boaz steps out of his lane, picks her up, and carries her back into his own. And I think this is a really good time to remind you that the story of Ruth is not about Ruth. It's about God. And it's about you. And it's about me. God is the landowner. You and I are the beggar. This is not our world any more than Bethlehem was Ruth's hometown. We are sojourning through. God is secure. You and I are the ones who face danger. He has the ability to redeem you. All you and I have the ability to do is to be redeemed. And He has. He did. He will. Because God didn't just leave Moab to come and save us. He left heaven to chase you down. God says to you and me, where you go, I will go. God says that to you. Where you stay, I will stay. God says, I will make your people my people. I will be your God. Even to the point of death, I will chase you down to give you life. Friends, this is what God has done for us. And giving us this new and redeemed life enables us to begin to live it today. And practically speaking, the way in which we entrust our lives into God and live out our faith and allow our fate to be put in his hands, practically speaking, looks like doing the right thing for somebody else when nobody else is watching. That's why Jesus taught us this in Matthew 6. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, only to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. 
Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There's an ancient rabbi. His name is Zira. He lived about 300 A.D. And he wrote this about the book of Ruth. He said, the scroll of Ruth tells us nothing either of cleanliness or uncleanliness. That's not the point of it. It doesn't tell us of prohibition or permission. Don't look for the things we're supposed to do or not supposed to do in this story. And so for what purpose then was Ruth written? To teach us how great is the reward of those who do deeds of kindness. And so let's come before God now with that in mind. Lord God, we thank you that the story of Ruth is our story, and it's the story that shows us the way in which you have shown kindness to us. That you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, you came down from heaven to say to us what Ruth said to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people and I will become your God. And you would make it that even death would not separate us from your love and from the love of one another when you yourself would die on the cross for the sins of the world. For the moments in which we have forgotten that you are God and that we are not. In this wild act of selfless love, you gave your life for us. Because you wanted to. Because you love us. And because you've done that, because you died and three days later you rose from the grave and conquered death and invited us into that conquering, resurrected life, because of all of those things, we can trust you. We can put our faith and trust in a fate that is not by chance and coincidence, but in a future that has hope. Because you have given us hope. A future hope that is given to those who have gone before us just like it was to the thief on the cross next to you, Jesus, when you said to him, in this day we will be in paradise. A same hope that brings us comfort, those of us left here on earth. That just like Ruth, as she was facing these circumstances, I cannot imagine that she didn't go back home to Naomi carrying 60 pounds of barley in her arms. And how could she not think that she has a God who's taking care of her every need? We know the same is true for us. Help us to be comforted by that truth. Help us to trust in that truth. Lord God, help us to be your instruments to share that truth with others through kindness.